You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord Good morning again. I am glad to be with you and I'm grateful to have the energy to be able to share God's word with you today. Uh, my, my tremendous thanks to Jim Mendenhall, Jack Campbell, uh, Rich Lamb, that little bit the first Sunday that I uh, was sick. Um, thank you for covering for me. Really appreciate it. And by God's grace, I have a little bit of energy this morning. My energy has come back some, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, may God uh, bless us as we study his word together. You heard uh, last week that Johnny was going to uh, speak today, but my energy has, has come back enough that uh, I was able to cover it, and so he's going to hold on to his lesson for the next time we need it, so appreciate that. So let's talk about Jesus this morning. Jesus confuses us, and by us, I just mean human beings, right? Uh, especially as we first encounter Jesus, hopefully less so as we get to know him better and better. There are a lot of conflicting views out there about who Jesus is. A lot of people think Jesus, you know, just isn't that significant. He's a historical figure they've heard of, but he doesn't really have an impact on their lives that they know of, and that's about it. And then it seems so strange to them when they meet people who take what they think are bizarre moral or political stands for Jesus, or people who will even die for Jesus. And that just confuses them, might be offensive to them, because to to them, Jesus just... He's just a historical figure. Sometimes Jesus offends people, not because he did anything wrong, but because of what he stands for. I had a couple of friends tell me once that Jesus is one way to come to God, but there are many other ways also. But Jesus himself surprises us in John 14, verse 6, when he says, No one comes to the Father except through me. He claims that he is the only way to God. That's a very exclusive claim. And it's offensive to people who didn't expect it, who believe God offers a multitude of paths to himself. I've known people, and maybe you have too, who have left the Christian faith because Jesus is too strict in his teaching about marriage being for one man and one woman because God made us male and female and unites the two together to become one in in marriage. That kind of teaching is confusing to a lot of people, and it's sometimes offensive. And I've met a few people who were confused when Jesus didn't give them what they wanted in life. Health, or prosperity, or the freedom to do what they wanted to do. And they were disappointed with him. And all of these people stumble over the question, who is this man, Jesus? Even those of us who are longtime believers, uh, or, or new believers, either one. We grapple with this question, who is Jesus? And that's a vital question to us because we, we have to know who he is because we value nothing more highly than knowing God and following Jesus, his son, because we believe that in Jesus and only in him do we find life from God and life eternal. So with those opening thoughts, I commend to you the people with whom Uh, uh, John uh, ends our text this morning. The people he highlights right at the end of John chapter 7, our text this morning. There's a group of people who say, no man's ever spoke the way this man does. 
And there's a man who boldly asks if the Jewish law condemns a man who hasn't even been heard yet to find out what he's doing. Because these people that John highlights at the end of our text, I get the impression they're as confused about Jesus as everyone else is. But they take time to listen to him. And they find him worth listening to. And they might be starting to suspect what we who have devoted our lives to God through Jesus have come to know. That Jesus is the Son of God, the light of the world. Hated by many, loved by others, and always dedicated to the single purpose of bringing people and God together, even if it costs him his life. So our text this morning is John chapter 7. We have taken an extended break from our study of the Gospel of John. I intended it for, to be for two weeks, one for Christmas, special lesson on the birth of Jesus, and then another week uh, from, for me to have some vacation time, and then we jump back in, but it uh, didn't work out that way. So let's do a quick review of what we were studying when we uh, uh, put a pause on our study of John back in December. So in John chapter 5, we're leading up into chapter 7 here. In John chapter 5, Jesus was in Jerusalem and he healed a man who had been an invalid 38 years. He healed him on a Sabbath day, which to strict Jews looked like he was violating the Sabbath. And therefore he was a bad person, an unfaithful Jew. Jews who were strict about Sabbath day observance uh, had this rule that said, uh, you, well, God had said, you can't work on the Sabbath. And so they had a rule for doctors that said, doctors cannot do too much work on the Sabbath. They can only heal a person to save their life. That's it. If it's not saving their life, they can't do it. It has to wait till Sunday. But Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. And he did it by the power of God. I mean, the healing worked. And so that confused people. And chapter 5, verse 18 tells us the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem wanted to kill Jesus because in their minds he was breaking the Sabbath. And in addition to that, he was calling God his own father. They didn't feel that was right. In John chapter 6, near the Passover festival, which was in the springtime, Jesus was in the region of Galilee and he miraculously fed over 5,000 people from five small loaves of bread and two small fish. And the people, when they saw that, they wanted to make him king by force. But he wouldn't let them. He got away from them. And as he taught them to seek not the bread of miracles, but the bread God sent to feed them spiritually, the bread that was himself, a lot of people grew frustrated with him and abandoned him. Now, in chapter 7, it's about six months later. It's in the fall, probably late September, early October. And Jesus' brothers, at least, think he needs to, to do some repair work to his ministry, go out and show what he can do, show his miracles, build up a, a new crowd of followers. But Jesus is confusing, even surprising, also to them, just like to others. And so let's begin our reading in John 7 and verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. 
Therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I am not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, Where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, He is a good man. Others replied, No, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Did you know Jesus had brothers? He had uh, younger brothers, at least four of them. Mark chapter 6, verse 3, tells us their names. James, Joseph, who I'm guessing was named after dad, Judas, and Simon. So these would, of course, been his half-brothers half uh, through his mother Mary. He had at least two sisters as well. Sisters are mentioned, but we don't know how many. At least two. Verse 5 here says, even Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. Now, that can mean a couple of things. It, it could mean that they didn't believe he had any special authority at all from God, didn't believe in his miracles, thought he was just acting crazy, in which case they're mocking him when they say, hey, go up to Jerusalem and show everyone the miracles you can do. Or it could mean that they believe he has authority from God, they've seen the miracles and, and they believe he can work miracles, but they don't believe yet. They don't yet understand his full purpose and that he's from God, that he's God's son. And so they have their own agenda for him, their own plan for how they think he should become a public figure and gather a crowd of followers again. And that's what I'm guessing that John means here when he says they didn't believe in him. But their plan isn't God's plan for Jesus. So Jesus doesn't go with them to Jerusalem for the festival of tabernacles. He does go, but not with them. Probably because if he goes with them and with the crowds of thousands and thousands of travelers coming into Jerusalem for the festival, then they'll make it into a parade for him like they will at the next Passover when Jesus makes what we call his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the crowds lay palm branches and their cloaks on the road for his donkey to walk on, parading him into Jerusalem like a king they love and honor. But it's not time for that yet. That time's coming, but it's not here yet. Some of the leaders in Jerusalem hate Jesus and want him dead. And it's not yet time for him to come in full force and, and die. That time will come, but it's not yet. And so for now, Jesus needs to come to Jerusalem a little more quietly than his brothers have in mind. And there in Jerusalem, even before Jesus does anything, there's confusion about who he is. Is he a good man? Does he deceive the people? People disagree about him. They're confused about him. The festival of tabernacles lasted a week plus a closing celebration on the eighth day. And Jesus waits a few days before he begins to teach publicly. Notice though when he does start to teach, notice the questions people have about who Jesus is and notice how he responds to those questions. So chapter 7, now verse 14. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. 
The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Do you hear the confusion in the crowd? I mean, we get a little confused just, just reading this story. It all sort of becomes a blur. There's all this confusion surrounding Jesus. Some people think Jesus is demon-possessed because he thinks people are out to kill him. So he's paranoid. But other people ask, wait, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Why aren't the authorities arresting him? And so you hear that in the crowd, there are people with different levels of knowledge about Jesus and his situation. It's kind of like going to work. Or getting together with family for the holidays. Or getting together with your car club friends. Everybody has a different take on who Jesus is. Different level of knowledge about him. A different you know, sense of whether he's worthy of having people follow him. So in verse 14, Jesus finally begins to teach in the temple courts. Where thousands of Jews would be gathering to worship God. And to offer sacrifices and just be together for the festival. And in verse 15, people are impressed with his teaching. Even today, it's hard, even for unbelievers, to read Jesus' teaching and not be impressed. If you know someone who is kind of curious about Jesus, but you know, doesn't, doesn't really want to come to church, just get them reading about Jesus in, in the Bible and see what they think. And the people ask how Jesus gained such learning without having been taught, meaning being, having been taught formally by the rabbis. Jesus' answer is, he has been taught. His teaching comes from the one who sent him, from God. And anyone who chooses to do the will of God will come to realize that. But a lot of people don't obey God. They don't obey the law God gave to Israel through Moses. Case in point, they're trying to kill him. And then some people in the crowd start to think he's crazy, maybe demon-possessed, because he's paranoid. He thinks people are out to kill him, which, of course, you and I know from chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 7, they are. Jesus responds in verses 21 to 24 with the source of that desire to kill him. He healed a man on the Sabbath, which ought not to be objectionable at all. Then some people, the ones who are aware that the authorities want Jesus dead, they're confused since the authorities aren't arresting Jesus. And they wonder if the authorities have decided Jesus really is the Messiah. 
But they don't think so because they have this idea that they speak in verse 27 that when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Now, there's nothing in the scriptures that taught that, that no one would know where the Messiah came from. It was just what a lot of people had come to expect. Just like people today come to Jesus with certain expectations and are surprised when he doesn't quite fit them. He's not exactly who they thought he would be. Sometimes that confuses people. Sometimes it offends them. But the problem isn't Jesus. The problem is us when we come to Jesus like his brothers did with our agenda instead of listening to hear his agenda as he works to lead us to God. Again, Jesus responds to the people. He says the reason they don't understand who he is is because they don't know the one who sent him. And the people don't like the implication that they, the the Jewish people, faithful Jews, don't know God. Of course they know God. They also don't like Jesus saying he came from God because that sounds to them like blasphemy, a human being claiming to be God or to have special authority from God. So they try to seize him, but it doesn't work because it's not his time yet. Somehow God protects him. Even then, though, some people in the crowd think very highly of Jesus. Let's read some more, starting in verse 31. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. The first line in this section, there in verse 31, says, Many in the crowd believed in him. And the last line we read, verse 44, says again that some wanted to seize him. And that's an apt summary of the Jewish people's confusion about Jesus during this festival. Some are convinced and believe in him. Others are offended and want to arrest and even kill him. Some believe in him as they ask themselves, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? For them, Jesus' miracles are a sure sign that he is from God. And for us too, the work God does in our lives as we follow him is a sure sign that Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son of God. But the Pharisees and the chief priests hear what these people are saying and send temple guards to arrest Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. To them, he's offensive. He's a blasphemer, maybe even a threat. And then Jesus 
foretells that soon he will be going away to a place where the people cannot find him. And that confuses the crowd. They wonder where he will go, whether he will go to a Jewish community outside the homeland, maybe somewhere in the Roman Empire or beyond, and teach the Greeks, meaning Gentiles, non-Jews. They don't understand. And there's irony all over this dialogue between Jesus and the crowd. And of course, it's easier for us to see from our perspective so many years later when we have the full story than, than they could see. They say they know where Jesus is from, so he can't be the Messiah, but they don't know that his true origin is with God. They wonder if he might leave and go teach the Greeks. We know from what happens later that Jesus is talking about his death, resurrection, and ascension to go and be with his Father in heaven. That's what he means by leaving. And we also know that he will share his message with Gentiles everywhere, indeed, through the church, which will begin Jewish, but then will reach out to all peoples everywhere with the message of Jesus all the way down to us. There's irony all over this conversation and the confusion of the crowd. On the last day of the festival, Jesus makes this declaration in verses 37 and 38. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And John explains that Jesus means that he will give the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, to all who come to him. And after Jesus is glorified, and after his death and resurrection and ascension, those who believed in him received the Holy Spirit. Jesus is offering to connect anyone who thirsts for God to the living water of God, the source of life, the Spirit of God, who is God himself living in us as we walk with him. And here Jesus finally stands up and says, This is what I'm all about. After all this fuss and confusion over who he is, where he came from, where he will go, who's trying to kill him? Is anyone actually trying to kill him? Why haven't they arrested him yet? Should he go and show off his miracles and gather a bigger following? After all of this, finally, Jesus makes it as plain as he can. Jesus' purpose is to bring people to God. He's not trying to become a public figure or he would travel with the massive crowds to Jerusalem. He's not demon-possessed. There really are people trying to kill him for working a wonderful miracle on the Sabbath. He's not staying forever. Soon he will be gone. But when he goes, he will share God's own spirit with everyone who believes in him. And he wants to connect every person he can with God. For, in those famous words that we read several weeks ago now from John 3, verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loves people. And so God sent Jesus. And Jesus wants to bring people to God, to find life in God. But Jesus isn't always what people expect. So we get confused, sometimes offended, and sometimes we believe. In verses 40 and 41, some people think Jesus is the prophet, meaning the prophet whose coming Moses foretold some 1,400 years earlier in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Other people think Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one, God's chosen leader for his people. To us, he is both. 
Other people are confused. They know from the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, the, written by the prophet Micah, which uh, they, they know that verse that says that God's Messiah will come from Bethlehem. But they think Jesus is from Galilee since he grew up in Nazareth, which is in Galilee, and now lives in Capernaum, right on the Sea of Galilee. They don't know he was born in Bethlehem. And so the people are divided. Some believe in Jesus. Others, again, want to seize him. But again, they don't seize him because it's not his time yet. Does all this arguing and confusion over who Jesus is seem familiar to you? Don't we hear this in our society today and in the people, in the conversations with, we have with people around us? To some people, Jesus is Lord and Savior. But to others, he's offensive. And to some, he's important, but they don't follow him. And to others, he's just insignificant. Some people love Jesus. Some find him upsetting. Some are disappointed with him. There's a lot of confusion around Jesus, even today. Don't let that get you down too much. Don't let it get you down too much. Because it was that way when Jesus was there, too. And Jesus didn't give up uh, when people didn't believe in him or were confused by him or were offended by him. He pressed on. And he pressed on because he knew that if we will listen to him, he can bring us to God. Even if at first we're confused, angry, disappointed, uncertain, if we will hang in there and listen to him, he will bring us to God. And so now I commend to you the people with whom our text today closes. Those temple guards who were sent to arrest Jesus and a man we met back in chapter 3, a man named Nicodemus. So let's finish our text this morning. John 7, verse 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Actually, the, these Pharisees are wrong about that. The prophet Jonah came out of Galilee, and, and possibly other prophets did too. And Isaiah chapter 9 suggests that the Messiah would come from Galilee. But one Pharisee, Nicodemus, stands apart from the others. He's been watching Jesus closely since the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In chapter 3, he even went to Jesus and spoke with him privately and learned from it. Nicodemus now stands up for Jesus because he sees something special in Jesus, something his fellow Pharisees need to listen to before they condemn Jesus. And the temple guards, they violated their orders and declined to arrest Jesus because they said no one ever spoke the way this man does. Before they carried out their orders, they took time to listen to Jesus and they came away impressed. Temple guards were drawn from the Levites, one of the tribes in Israel. Uh, the Levites were a level below the priests of, of Israel in terms of, of religious status. They were religiously trained and well-equipped to notice when someone spoke with authority from God. And so they listened to Jesus and they were impressed. Here's my lesson for today. There's a lot of confusion out there about Jesus. 
A lot of wrong expectations, some disappointment, some surprise. But Jesus came simply to bring us to God. That was his entire purpose. He will do it if we can hang in there, cut through all the noise about about Jesus and people's expectations and misconceptions, and just hear him. We need, like those temple guards, like Nicodemus, to listen to Jesus. And we need to encourage the people around us to listen to Jesus. As we thirst for God and for the life he gives, Jesus can give us living water, the presence of God in our lives as we believe in him. Listen to Jesus. May God bless you. Let's pray. God, our Father, our Creator, thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to bring us to God, to give us that living water that you promised to all who follow him. Dear Lord, you know that in our time and in our land, in our community, even in our own families, and sometimes even in our own homes, there's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is. Lord, show us who Jesus is. Help us to listen to him and to hear and understand. Guide us, Lord, to Jesus so that he might bring us to you. We pray in Jesus' name.